Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. You got a card saying one minute to go, two minutes to go. He's only got 35 minutes to preach, so. Okay. Sorry, guys. Um, just real quick, sorry to interrupt. Um, so during our youth group, we had a little contest for designing our logo. And I just have to say that people have been bold and super inspiring in our youth group. And so I just wanted to real quick, real quick, I promise, call up Zoe, Lily, and Ava. There was another contestant, but she goes to a different church on Sundays. But I just want to announce in front of the family the winner. Pastors Rod and Val actually chose the design that won. All right. Ava. <laughs> So I just want to say you guys are amazing and courageous to even submit designs. And I just, what did you do with my stuff? <laughs> this. I just wanted to give real quick, Ava, there's the winner. <laughs> Lily. And Zoe. And just keep creating. There's so much power in creating. Um, it just, it's a, a weapon against death itself. So just wanted to celebrate them. Thank you. Okay. I do remember my wife telling me about this. And the reason I have to do this, because she's watching me on camera and I'm trying to soften the blow when I get home, okay? Please forgive me. Rachel, forgive me. She did tell me. <laughs> Preach it, brother. Hallelujah. top maybe now we can hear and Mike and that's okay we good Just in case it doesn't come back on. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So let's, are you guys ready to hear the word of God this morning? Come on, let's, let's get into the word of God. So Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this morning. And we thank you just for the opportunity to dig into your word. And we ask, Lord, that you'd begin to just to mold our hearts and to shape our lives uh, for, for who you want us to be and who you've called us to be, Lord. And so we just give you all the glory this morning and ask that you'd be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on. So don't worry. Don't worry. That is the name of my talk this morning. I've titled it Don't Worry. And really what I'd like to talk to you about is experiencing breakthrough by encountering the supernatural peace of God. The true 
peace of God. How many of us would love to experience some breakthrough in your lives this morning? Come on. Yes. Listen, I want to encourage you this morning, church. Our breakthrough is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Jesus broke through death so that you and I might experience the life of God. Jesus broke through darkness so that you and I might experience the light of the world and be the light of the world. Jesus broke through the veil, ripping it from top to bottom so that you and I might experience the presence of God both around us and also in us. And when the presence of God is in us, we can begin to experience breakthrough in our lives. And I believe that the Lord is doing something. I believe that he wants us to say goodbye to some old thought patterns to some bad habits that maybe we've created or some maybe some archaic way of doing things that are truly keeping us from living the life that God has called us to. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Did you catch that? Don't be troubled or afraid. In other words, don't worry. I want you to look at your neighbor right now and just tell him, hey, don't worry. (laughs) Ah, Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Have you ever noticed that some people are better at giving gifts than others are? I mean, there's, there's individuals that, that they truly understand your style, they understand your flavor, they really understand what you like, and then there's others that are just as kind, and it's still very nice, but, but when they give you the gift and you open it up, you really mean it when you say, oh, you, sh- you shouldn't have. <laughs> I mean, it's not that you're ungrateful, it's just that they missed it, and they missed it by a lot. And, and, and then when the dust settles, you're looking at this random present, you're like, what am I going to do? And then you realize, ah, oh, I'll give it out at the next uh, church Christmas white elephant gift exchange. That's what I'll do. <laughs> well, there's one person who's really good at giving gifts, and it's Jesus. And in the text we just read, Jesus is leaving his followers a parting gift. And Jesus is on the road to the, you know, to the cross. He's about to be crucified. He's not going to be with his followers much longer. And so he leaves them with this parting gift. And he knows that that life is going to get challenging. He knows that life is going to get tough. He knows that chaos is coming and troubles are coming. But he also knows that in spite of the chaos and the troubles and the crisis, peace is possible. And I believe that God has called us to a life of peace and not one of chaos. Now, Jesus never promised us a life without chaos or without troubles, but he did promise us a life with untroubled hearts in the midst of chaos, in the midst of peace. And sometimes we think peace is when there is no crisis or when there are no troubles. But, but I'm telling you, peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. And the world offers a peace that's temporary. I mean, we could get some peace in the world. It's temporary and maybe it'll kind of hold us over a bit, but it doesn't get us through the storm. And the peace that Jesus offers us not only carries us, but it gets us through that tough storm of life sometimes. And the greatest enemy of peace is anxiety and fear. Anxiety doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. I know we think it does and we're going to be anxious, right? 
because we're thinking it somehow empties tomorrow of its sorrows. No, but it actually robs today of its strength. Anxiety distracts us from our God-given purpose. Anxiety isolates, but peace, uh, it brings this, this interconnection with God. Anxiety isolates us from truly being who God has called us to be, but peace, on the other hand, it permeates our actions, our ambitions, our attitudes. Anxiety is what stops us, but peace is what carries us through the storm. And listen, we may not be able to handle the waves of life sometimes. You know, we talk about the wave of God. Oh, I pray for the wave of God. But the waves of life sometimes, the storms that come our way, the troubles, the crisis, the chaos, we can't handle those. And we may not be able to stand through those. But I'll tell you what, we can learn how to surf. We can learn how to surf. Because, and I've prayed this numerous times, Lord, just calm the sea. I've read the story. All you have to say is be still. And I know that it'll listen to you. But I found out in life that more times than not, Jesus doesn't necessarily just calm the storm, but he actually is the strength to get me through the storm. And you know, there's a reality that is inevitable in life. And I wanna encourage you this morning because you will reproduce what you reflect on. It's just, it's inevitable, it happens. And so if we're reflecting more on our crisis, more on our trouble, then we are actually going to reproduce that. If we're focused more on the life we have in Christ, then we're going to reproduce that wherever we go. Now, I was recently reading through the book of, of John in chapter two. It's one of my favorite stories. It's the, the, the first uh, miracle of Jesus. Uh, and so Jesus is invited to this wedding party and, and, and the wedding failed to kind of calculate uh, the correct amount of wine needed here. We'll just do this. Let's read through it. John chapter two, starting in verse one, it says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, and so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time hasn't yet come, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so standing by, nearby, were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons, and Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And so the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and he says, hey, a host always serves the best wine. And then when everybody has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you've kept the best until now. And this miraculous sign, verse 11, at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Wow, now this is a powerful story and I don't want you to, there's something there that I don't want you to miss. And I, I want you to imagine with me really quick that you're going to the post office. <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to the post office and you're gonna purchase some postal stamps. And when you walk into the post office to grab those postage stamps, there behind the counter is the president of the United States. And you're thinking to yourself, no, 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 this, guy, this guy's got bigger things to be concerned about. I mean, I understand that the postal service is a government responsibility, but really the president of the United States, like doesn't he have bigger fish to fry? 
Or, or I call Apple because I've got to download the latest app or the latest uh, update, and, and it's not downloading. And so I give Apple a call, and Tim Cook answers the phone. I'm thinking, what, Tim? I can't even get a human on the phone. Now the CEO is on the phone? I mean, it would be ridiculous. In John chapter 2, we see Jesus handling some things that we might consider outside of his job description. I mean, he's the king of kings, and now he's going to be dealing with a catering disaster? I mean, the, 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 Jews, the, the, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah for 4,000 years. This was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. They had been waiting forever, and he's finally here. There's no time to lose, only three and a half years of ministry left, and then he's heading to the cross to be crucified. And so you might think he would be engaged in this fierce battle with Satan or trying to overthrow the Roman Empire, yet we find him here picking up the pieces from a poorly planned party. You know, time is money, and he's on a mission to save mankind. So my question is, why does he take the time out of his mission, so to speak, to actually go to a wedding? And I want to encourage you this morning and maybe you missed it in verse two. It says that Jesus was invited. Jesus was invited. Now through this household miracle, Jesus showed his willingness to be a part of our everyday life. Not just the emergency situations, but our everyday life. And we see him here perform this first miracle at a wedding. And spoiler alert, in a few chapters, he's going to be going to a funeral. And that story gets a little crazy. So from, 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 from altar to grave, Jesus is looking to be involved in every part of our lives. He cares about our little things. There's no miracle too small. There's no miracle too big. Jesus is always willing. And I want to encourage you, invite him into those things. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And we live in a world that breeds anxiety. I mean, stress, worry, anxiety, are, are, they're buzzwords. They're common. They're more common as the common cold. And there's this prevailing sense of anxiety in the world around us. But thankfully, the Bible is not silent on this issue. A couple of thousand years ago, a guy by the name of Paul, who at the time was a prisoner in the Roman Empire, of the Roman Empire, and he had every reason to be freaked out, anxious, fearful, because his, his life was literally on the line. He could have been killed at any moment. And so he has every right to be anxious. And he pens some words for us, inspired of God, by God, of course, that I believe give us a path forward if we're not truly experiencing the supernatural peace of God in our lives. How many of you are looking for a breakthrough this morning? Amen. Come on, somebody. Yes. This is what Paul says. He lays out his teaching in Philippians chapter four and verses four through nine. I wanna read it and we're gonna land the plane here uh, in this particular passage. But Paul says, and starting in verse four of chapter four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now let that sink in. This guy's a prisoner. How many of you guys are kicking back in a jail saying, woo, rejoice? Not me. Paul is, why? Because the joy of the Lord was his strength. And he says in verse five, let your gentle spirit be known to all people, the Lord is near. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
And verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any, if, if, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Wow, that's a promise. That is a promise from God, and it's a promise that there is a peace that doesn't make sense. You know, we can't wrap our minds around it. And if you're trying to wrap your mind around it, you're not going to experience that peace because we can't wrap our mind around this, but it actually acts like a fortress around our heart and our mind. And so how do we get this peace? How do we experience the supernatural peace of God rather than being tossed to and fro by all the waves of life and the crisis and the troubles? How do we truly experience the peace of God? And that's the question that I really want to answer this morning using this particular passage. And if you would, number one, number one, bring your concern to God in prayer. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 trust me. It's, this is a promise. Bring your concern to God in prayer. Notice what it says in verse six. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Bring your concerns to God in prayer. So the, the, the beginning step is to pray about everything we're worried about or anxious about. And I would say this, if it's big enough to worry about, then it's probably big enough to pray about it. Martin Luther said it this way, hey, pray and let God worry. I mean, and, and, and if it's one of those big things, those big things that we just can't get over, you may have to pray multiple times a day and that's okay. In fact, you may have to pray multiple times an hour Lord, please help me. Please help me. It was Mark Batterson who puts it this way. He says, think of worry as a prayer alarm. Every time it goes off, you put it to prayer. Your prayer life becomes the first step on a pathway to peace. But not only do we bring our concerns to God in prayer, we also should cultivate habits of thanksgiving in our lives. Now, if you're familiar with this particular passage, you might have noticed how I kind of just skimmed over a couple of words there. And notice with me here in verse, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse, uh, what? yeah, verse six, it says, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. We live in a world where it's so easy to lose perspective. It's so easy to forget all the things that God has done for us. And Thanksgiving is a powerful way to gain that perspective back. We recently moved out here in September of last year from Northern California over to Florida. And I can honestly say that it was the most anxious season I had ever dealt with in my entire life. I had three girls to take care of and my wife and I were like, what are we going to do? So we decided to move out here. We had no jobs. We had no place to live. We had to sell our house and it was one of the most difficult things to do. And then when we got here, we actually were able to sell our house immediately. We, we, we were able to stay with family members who took us in for a couple of weeks while our rental was getting ready. And then eventually we've, we've actually been able to buy a home. And then we were concerned about our girls getting plugged into school and where we were in Northern California, the public school system was horrible. And so we were paying, I felt like millions of dollars to go to private school and we couldn't afford that here. And so we're like, what are we gonna do? We put them in public school and everything turned out to be just great. And the Lord provided us jobs as well for both me and Sarah. 
Now that, this is, yes, amen. Those are the things that I have to remind, I have to remind myself of those things. Like, God, look at what you did. And this is what I told my girls the other day. I said, hey, listen, uh, on September, that's when we moved here, we are going to do a celebration starting this year for the rest of our lives in September, one day dedicated to remembering all that God has done for us. Because I do not want a generation raised up who does not recognize or remember the things that God has done in our lives. Thankfulness reminds us of the activity of God in our lives. And I just want to give you some practical ideas. I know this isn't always easy. So just some very practical ideas. Number one, start the day with Thanksgiving. When you get up, like just start the day with, thank you, God. There is something to be thankful about, trust me. It may be hard. Ask your wife to tell you what you can be thankful about. She'll let you know. Start the day with Thanksgiving. Number two, write down uh, some notes of Thanksgiving. I forget everything, literally. Like there's moments where I'm like, okay, I know I need to be thankful for. All of a sudden, my mind is blank. But I start writing stuff down. I'm able to go back to the book, open it up. I'm like, oh, that's right. It's like a memorial. And I go back and I look at the memorial and I go, I remember what you did, Lord. Thank you so much. Give thanks with your words. There's something about declaring things with our mouth. The power of the tongue is extremely powerful. It brings death and it brings life. It can destroy or it can build up. So begin to declare with your mouth the thankfulness of God. Live a lifestyle focused on what God has done for you and not on what God hasn't done for you. Like, it's so easy to walk around, oh, God didn't. No, no, no. Live a lifestyle of what God has done. And, and, and this is the last one. Surround yourself with those who will encourage gratitude. Surround yourself with those who are going to encourage gratitude. And so for me, the habit of, of thankfulness helps anchor me to my current day and not the worry of tomorrow. I like what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, 34. He challenges us and he says, take no thought about tomorrow for tomorrow will take thought about the things of itself. So not only do we need to bring our concerns to God, to God cultivate those, those habits of thanksgiving, but we also need to think about changing the content of our thought life. What what does Paul say in verse eight here? He says, finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is any praise, think on these things. Paul says, change the content of your thought life. And he moves on to show us that, that, that you're going to experience peace, that I'm going to experience peace And our thought life must follow certain patterns if we're going to experience that peace. He's saying that the content of our thought life affects the peace that we experience. And Paul is is giving us a filter to kind of sort through our thoughts. You know, remember in, in other scriptures, he says, take captive the thoughts to the obedience of Christ. Literally what Paul is saying there is you need to interrogate those thoughts. So when a thought pops up into your mind, you've got it sitting across the table going, are you from Jesus or are you not from Jesus? Interrogate those thoughts. There's two important strategies that are connected with this particular verse. Number one, we may need to cut certain inputs out of our life or at least decrease them. 
Now, if, 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 if what we feed our minds impacts us, there may be certain things that Paul would encourage us to cut back on or even eliminate entirely from our lives. Now, I don't know about you, and you're gonna have to ask the Holy Spirit on this one. Don't ask me to tell you what to cut out. You're gonna have to talk to Jesus because you have a relationship with him. But I can tell you in my relationship, Jesus said, hey, it's about time you cut out some news because I was waking up every morning and literally I would have the peace. And as soon as I opened up the news app and read what was going on in the economy or socially or politically, I would lose that peace immediately. And I, that would affect my relationships around me. Like, did you hear? Oh my, oh, and it would just, I would just be so bent, forgetting who I am in Christ, not experiencing that supernatural peace. And so I had to cut out news in my life. There was no, and news isn't a bad thing per se, but I had to cut it out of my life because it was drawing me away from the Lord rather than me drawing it towards the Lord. I had to learn how to silence anxieties moment by moment chatter so that I could experience the true peace of God. And so not only may we need to cut out certain things in our life or cut out certain inputs, but maybe we need to add some certain things into our thought life. And Paul gives us this buffet of positive areas to focus our minds on. And what do you need to add into your life to get thinking the types of thoughts that Paul describes here? And one obvious one for me that I had to wrestle with is the word of God. Is the word of God. And when I say the word of God, I do mean the Bible but I also mean God still speaks today. I don't think he's rewriting the Bible. The Bible's the Bible. It's been closed. But I do think he still speaks today through prophetic words, through, through angels, through visions, through dreams, through, through just a feeling sometimes. The Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, for, or 4, verse 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it cuts down to the, the soul and the spirit between joint and marrow, and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. But not only this, in Psalm chapter 119, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So not only does it expose what's going on inside of me, but it leads me to where I need to go. That's the word of God. The Bible, it, it, it does that. I read the word of God and it sets me straight. Sometimes it hurts, sometimes it's nice, but it sets me straight. And I would encourage you, if you have a prophetic word that's been declared over your life, write it down so that you can be obedient to that word if it sits well with you. If you've been given a word to give somebody else, don't be shy, don't be timid, give it to that individual they need it. God has spoken to you so that you might speak to his bride and you need to share it. And so we need to cut some things out of our lives, but we also need to add some things into our life. And I would encourage you, the word of God would be a big one. And the last point I wanna make is number four, find encouragement from friends. And so we need to bring our concerns to God in prayer. We, we need to cultivate habits of thanksgiving. We need to cut some stuff out and develop these thought patterns that are good, but we also need to find some encouragement from friends. Notice what Paul says with me in verse nine of chapter four. He says, do those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, this verse could take a lifetime to truly unpack, unpack but it's talking about modeling actions, modeling actions. And, 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 and you've heard this saying, show me your friends and I'll show you who you'll be in three years. Paul was essentially saying, listen, I want you to take your lead from me. 
And this, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the book of Philippians, but I'll just give you just a snippet here on the, on the book of Philippians. So Paul was actually headed on a missionary journey. He was on a missions trip to go plant churches. And so he's heading in one direction and the Holy Spirit literally stops him and says, you're not going that direction. I don't know how the Holy Spirit talked to him. If it was a vision, if it was a voice from heaven, if it was somebody that said, hey, I heard from God and they said, don't go. I don't know what it was like, but nonetheless, Paul received the word of God and did not go. He eventually makes his way over to the city of Philippi and he makes his way down to the riverbank and there's a bunch of ladies down there and he begins to declare and preach the good news of Jesus. And there's a lady by the name of Lydia who was a businesswoman, sold some linen, and she actually gave her life to the Lord. And it was just this radical thing. And Paul is, is pumped and Lydia is pumped and they're going about the city of Philippi and they're declaring the good news of Jesus. And there's this demonic girl who, be, who belongs to like this psychiatric hospital and she keeps following Paul around, annoying him. And he finally just turns to her, casts the demon out. She gets radically saved and she's now with them and her and Lydia and, and they're all going around sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, all the while people in the city of Philippi are getting really, 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 really mad because now they're losing money because this demonic girl was actually making some pretty good cash in what she was doing. And so eventually they come and they capture Paul and Silas. They throw them in prison. Paul and Silas aren't concerned because they begin to worship God. And now there's this earthquake that happens and the gates of the jail open up. And rather than taking off you know, out of the jail, you know, as escapees, they actually stop because they notice the jailer is about to do something stupid. He knows that if they escape, he's done. And so he's going to try to take his own life before the Roman soldiers take his life. And so they stop him, preach the gospel. He gets radically saved. And so the church in Philippi was literally started by a businesswoman named Lydia, by this demonic girl who should have been in a psychiatric hospital, uh, and by this uh, prison guard. That's literally how the church of Philippi got started. And so when Paul is literally there telling them, hey, and he's writing this letter, they're reading it. The church is in a room just like this, probably a house, probably Lydia's house because she's the one with the money. She's the businesswoman. And they're probably reading this letter. And as they get to this portion, I would imagine they're turning over to Lydia. Wow. Remember what Paul did in declaring the gospel to Lydia? Imagine they looked over at the demon-possessed girl. Wow, you remember how Paul didn't shy away from declaring and casting out that demon and declaring the good news to this girl? Remember how Paul had the chance to bounce, but he stayed and he declared the word of God to this jailer and he gets saved? Wow, we should mimic our lives after him. Listen, we need some Pauls in our life. We need some friends that are gonna encourage us in our life. And that doesn't mean I don't wanna go home and look on my Facebook and see you guys have all unfollowed me. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? But you need to follow and you need to have people following you that love you and wanna see Jesus exhibited in your life that can encourage you and not bring you down, that can build you up and not tear you down. And I wanna end with this. We're to bring our concerns to prayer in God. We're to cultivate habits of thanksgiving. We're to change the content of our thought life. And we're to find encouragement from friends. But in Exodus chapter 14, I believe this is for somebody today. I believe the Lord is speaking today. And this is for somebody. In Exodus 14, 14. You know, the nation of Israel, you've heard the story where they're, they're leaving uh, Egypt and they're, they're trying to get away from Pharaoh and the, the army and they're confronted with the Red Sea and they don't know what to do. And they're scared. They're anxious. 
and, and they, they have nowhere to go. If they go to the left, there's a rock. If they go to the right, there's a rock. If they try to go backwards, there's the army pursuing them, and they go forward, and there's the Red Sea. So what are they going to do? They find themselves between a rock and a hard place, literally. And this is what the Lord tells them in Exodus chapter 14, 14, and this is for some of us today. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Did you catch that? Don't worry. The Lord will fight for you. Adam, I've been bringing it to the Lord for a long time and I've got people surrounding me. I don't know what to do. Stay calm. Don't worry. The Lord will fight for you. God is on our side. In fact, let me just encourage you this way. In, in Joshua, it, it, there's, a, there's an angel that comes to Joshua uh, when they cross over to the promised land. And Joshua's confronted with a question. <clears throat> the angel says, or, 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 or actually Joshua asks them, are you for me or against me? And, and the angel of the Lord responds, neither. And the whole point is to show Joshua, this isn't your battle. This is my battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. He will fight for you. Stay calm. Don't worry. Experiencing breakthrough by encountering the peace of God. I'm going to go ahead and call the worship team to come back up here. And as they're making their way back up, I just want to end with a word of prayer and encouragement. And so Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we ask that you would teach us how to trust in you.